Hey, what's up? This is Mr. Bill. Uh, before you listen to this podcast, I just wanted to let you know I'm going on tour. Go check out uh, mrbillstunes.com forward slash tour. I'm going to a bunch of cities and a bunch of new dates are constantly getting added and uh, enjoy the podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. <laughs> all right we're recording this is all going in all right here all we right. are yeah well thanks for coming on yeah yeah i appreciate uh the conversations we've had in the past just because you guys both have a pretty interesting perspective on the music industry i guess from starting a weekly that ran for like seven years straight and as far as i know still kind of is a thing the wormhole stuff yeah wormhole is a thing still a thing yeah not a not a weekly but it's a thing we're doing about i'm just gonna two shows a month and sometimes more so we're still throwing a ton of events just not yeah 50 to 80 a year yeah when we when i i like when i look back on it and we realized that we were doing like 50 plus shows a year well what got really gnarly is for years we talked about how we should start doing more uh big off weekend big one-off weekend shows and then uh the last year we had the weekly, we started doing that all the time. And when I counted up everything we did, it was like 75 to 80 shows between the weekly and everything we promoted and then through ourselves. And that was <laughs> just way too much. So when you guys were doing the weekly and just to like give people a little bit more perspective who are listening, the weekly was called Wormhole Wednesday. It would run every Wednesday night and every Wednesday night you would have a new lineup of what, five to 10 acts and you would book a venue like say the new parish in Oakland or something like that. And then you would run basically a show every single week. And so you'd do 52 shows a year for, and you did that for seven years, right? Roughly. I mean, basically we, we, the weekly wasn't, I think the, we did every Wednesday for about six years. The first year was not exactly like every Wednesday, but that was the goal though. Yeah. So after a year we hit every Wednesday. So for maybe six years, we did 50 shows a year so that we did like over 300 shows as the weekly and then other shows on top of that too but yeah the weekly we never (laughs) took weeks off either we didn't take christmas or christmas eve off or really anything we always thought it was very important to not miss any weeks and have people be able to reliably show up and know we're there every time which didn't i mean it's part of how we kept a packed crowd in there every week is on top of the bass music kids that like knew who we were booking and wanted to come see the acts we were bringing out. We also had a lot of just like regular Oakland and just Bay area people that were like, yeah, what do I, what do I want to do? It's Wednesday. Oh, wormholes at the new parish. Yeah. It's like, a, it was an industry. It's an industry weekend on Wednesdays. So like, right. So if you're working the bar or like restaurant industry, that's the night you go out. That's like your Friday. Interesting. Okay. And and did you guys uh, specifically build the night around that from the get-go for that reason? No. Or is that just sort of what it I, I think Wormhole Wednesday just had a nice ring to it and yeah. was the uh, probably the only day of the week 
we Ooh. could get at, at, <laughs> yeah. at uh, the original bar, which was a little por- bar called Portal that's by Lake Merritt, yeah. which w- is really funny to think back on the party being there because even when it was there, they didn't really want it there. Um, yeah. But we, it, the only day of the week we could get at any club was a Wednesday because nobody else wanted it. Even with how established we are now, you know, working with new venues, it's yeah. most of them still want you to take like a Wednesday or a Thursday before they'll give you a weekend. At this point, we don't have to deal with exactly. that as much because like even more, people we more established. Yeah. Right. He, so even we, people we haven't worked with have heard of us or like if, the, you know, if the club owner hasn't someone that works there is like, oh, yeah, those guys are legit. I've worked with them somewhere yeah. doing something. Dude, how, how many managers have you talked to that were like, what are you guys doing? There's three, four hundred people here on a Wednesday. Like, uh, like, well, the, the, we, like, there was it was not normal, like like venue managers were confused they're like they came for you you know like they came right, right. for like this party yeah they're not coming here just to go out to this yeah bar yeah. Yeah. yeah well right. definitely when so when we started doing every single week and when i got involved is when wormhole uh moved to era which was a small bar in downtown oakland and i've been to the, their bar on weeknights when there wasn't our party and it's just like just maximum dead. 10 people watching sports um so so in that sense like when a bar knows that the wednesday is only going to have 10 people at it watching sports and then you go in there saying like hey we want to bring a wormhole event to this bar on a wednesday night it's going to have three or four hundred people do they give you like a pretty favorable split on that or do they go kind of like well you got to pay us a lot of money to have the bar on the wednesday night even though we're only going to have 10 people in or like what, what what's the kind of dynamic that you have with the with the bar owner at that point the deal for the weekly, we never had a rental fee anywhere. Um, was it just like a split of ticket sales, basically? Uh, no, no it was either. it was generally they take the bar, we take the door. Okay, um, we took all the fun. risk of of the guarantees for the artists. Okay, and yep. they took all the gar- all, all the risk for the staffing, basically. Okay, right, and, yeah. and oh, even for like venues we worked with doing the weekly, if we wanted to do a weekend show, we would definitely have a rental fee. But for the Wednesday, it was like like we were saying, you know, they weren't going to fill it anyway. When we first moved to the new parish, which is where we were at for the majority of the weekly, they definitely were still booking some like Wednesday shows on their calendar at first. Um, and so for the first few months that they would usually like push them to be early shows. So like, but sometimes that would push our party back, uh, which drove us crazy. Like we'd get there mm-hmm. and there's a Half punk total. band playing, but that punk band would usually be playing to like 40 people <laughs> and they were pretty quickly like okay, you guys, like, this is messing up your guys' stuff, and you're packing way more people in here anyway. Like, even, like, the opening hour of your party, we're selling more drinks than, like, these entire shows. So we'll just, you just have Wednesdays. Right, yeah, yeah. okay, interesting. So what, Um, I'm interested, uh, so just, like, to preface this question, I've put on uh, one party, and that was at the end of last year in Sydney, because I couldn't find any promoters in Sydney to book me there. And it's like my hometown. I wanted to play a show there. So I ended up booking the venue myself and then ended up booking the artists myself. So I got Copycat, uh, Azuki, and then like uh, Prowl, which is just like a local drum and bass act in Sydney who does like cool drum and bass stuff. Um, And I found the whole process for me took like probably about a month of like, and I think most of that hinged on waiting for other people to make decisions kind of thing it wasn't necessarily like me that was being tardy i i was pretty quick on sending emails and sending money went to the venue and to the to the 
you know, artists and buying flights for people when I needed to. And like, I was pretty on the ball for all of that stuff, but, but still it's like the whole, the whole process hinged on other people agreeing to things and doing things when they were supposed to and all of that. So it's like, for my experience, and this might just be because I did it in Australia and Australia doesn't take this stuff maybe as seriously, but it took me about a month to six weeks to kind of like get everything locked. So if you're doing a weekly, does that mean you were sort of planning weeks, like six weeks in advance kind of thing and just constantly working on future shows or like how, how did the schedule? Because also from the artist perspective, if they're like doing a routed tour or something, they need to know quite in advance before they're coming to your venue to play as well. It's not like, you know, you just book a weekly and therefore you just book them week of and so on and so forth. And yeah. so I'm just curious, like kind of my question is like, what did your schedule look like to make this happen each week? Well, so the first thing with that, I would definitely say is that I've said for a long time that the hardest part about throwing shows is finding a venue Um, because venues have packed calendars. They're trying to figure out a day where they're literally not booking anything themselves that they would make more money on. So obviously with having the weekly and we know we're there every week, that takes that out. Uh, We definitely had an issue for a while, though, I guess. I mean, not necessarily an issue, but for a while, we would just kind of like people would hit us up, be like, I'm coming through town. We'd book them and we'd also just be reaching out to our friends, local DJs. Um, whoever, and just filling them into the earliest date we had available. And then we started noticing that sometimes we would get hit up about these big tours and we'd already have filled that date with like people that lived in the area and we could book literally any time. So we started, you know, waiting until we had those headliners filled in and then building support around them. So we wouldn't fall into that area because it really obviously sucks when you're turning down, let's say like someone from the UK that you really want to book and the two weeks that they could do your party, you already booked. And it's like your homie that lives up the street. But also something that helped with that majorly is like we grew our reputation and then all the agencies started hitting us up for a while. We were doing a lot of reach out. If we wanted to do a bigger show, we were like, who do we like right now? Who are we listening to? Who can we fly out here that we think would like be a good set and sell tickets? And suddenly, like after a couple of years, it was like, every single thing I'd want to book, someone's hitting me up three to four months in advance, like, hey, we want to play your party on our tour. And people loved like being able to fill their San Francisco date, which is, I mean, we weren't in San Francisco, we're in Oakland, but they play the Bay Area for a party that they know there's going to be people at no matter what. And they fill it on a Wednesday. There's a lot of smaller cities, smaller markets. uh, It's hard enough to get people to come out on a Friday or Saturday and doing something like on a Wednesday or Thursday or any weekday is just like not worth it at all. So speaking of um, like people coming through to just want to play a party that's going to have people at it um, no matter what, this would then constitute a soft ticket play, right? And I think something that like a lot of people who listen to this podcast probably don't understand is the difference between a soft ticket play and a hard ticket play. Um, Did one of you want to explain what that is? Because I think you'd have a better idea as to what it is than I do. Well, a a soft ticket is like, so a weekly or a monthly. Wormhole would be a soft ticket. Yes. Or even like... The, the softest, you know, or, or like even a club that, uh, has a big walk up, like, uh, like 10, 15 or for example, or like, like beta in Denver, it's soft ish. And if you're, you know? if you're talking about the difference between a hard ticket and a soft ticket, so hard, it might be easier to explain hard ticket because a hard ticket is where people are buying the ticket strictly to come out and see you play. So that usually means that there's no promoter on it. Technically speaking, there's no one pushing the show. Yeah. hyping up people to come out it's just people see your name see you're coming through town your fans see you post your tour flyers and they're like i'm buying a ticket to that so when you see like people trying to build hard ticket histories 
a lot of times you'll, which means you have, you have a reliable reputation for selling tickets everywhere you go, just because of who you are and how many people like you, uh, people want to work directly with venues and try not to have a promoter on there at all. Right. Because then their split of how much they earn is just sort of getting smaller because they have to split it with the promoter. Well, there's that, but it's also like your, your number, like your market history is devalued if it's with like a a promoter or like a softer ticket show. So, so we kind of, we have, we we have a crowd that will come out to our show, even if they have no idea who we booked. And this was especially true of the weekly is, I mean, there were some nights where we booked some pretty obscure acts that we just liked and didn't really think people would know. And like, sometimes a bunch of people would be there and we'd be asking our friends like, Oh, you listen to this person too. Like I remember one of the earlier ones was this guy, Snubluck from Denver, who's awesome, but like didn't really have much draw in the area. And our friends were like, nah, we just saw that you guys were hyped on this. So we came out (laughs) because you guys always just book cool stuff. And eventually it was just like, we had that crowd. And if we booked someone bigger that people did know, then those are the nights where yeah. we like sold out like six, 700 tickets instead of doing three to 400 or whatever. Yeah. So but I want to ask you a question, Benji. Remember when we stopped getting hit up for certain acts because they were trying to build hard, uh, like hard ticket history. I mean, that's still a, an issue that we're dealing with. You know, I remember when that crossover kind of started to happen yeah, and we- also part of it was, um, you know, the whole time we were doing the weekly, it was $5 pre-sale ten dollars at the door it was even cheaper before that and for most of that that's so dumb dude. yeah at the very end we would do like why why did we even do that yeah i don't i mean because that's how we kept people coming yeah because yeah we wanted people to listen to the fucking music you know and yeah people like if people know that the party's cheap that that's when they'll come even though that they don't know or care who's playing and on top of that we also had a free option for most of that time where we gave away 50 free tickets online and you just had to uh cash them in by 10 o'clock yeah. to claim them um <laughs> which so, is kind of like to get people there early yeah get yeah. people there early and because when we started at the smaller venue it was like free before nine and then it was free before 10 but we always had this free option so that people could just you know regardless of your income or where you're at you can still come party it was also just a community thing yeah we wanted to fucking share this music with people like you never heard this before like we there should be no barrier to entry you know right, right. to experience this thing that we're we are excited about that's kind of what i feel like uh happened in the music streaming industry too it was like a lot of people were like you can't listen to my music unless you buy a cd or a vinyl or unless you like pay for the option to download it online and then people like tom cosm came around and they were like you know what just here's all my music for free i don't want there to be like a barrier between you listening and me making the shit and then people saw like oh fuck that that's a really good model that actually works and then you know i think that was sort of the start of a lot of these you know download just in exchange for your email type platforms and the first thing i remember of that type was Bandcamp. yeah and then and then obviously we started getting download gates on soundcloud and stuff and it's like yeah you can have the tune just give me a follow right exactly and it reminds me like a couple years ago i was i was in chicago and uh i was talking to my friend's housemate that was a house producer and i was telling him about how this has become the model for bass music everyone gives out their music for free for the most part and then makes money selling shows and merch and he was blown away by that and he was like in the house scene it's still all about what label you release on how many beatport sales you have right that's how you like get booked to make money and he like he was laughing hysterically as i was like the biggest acts are giving away most of their tunes as a free download. Right. Well, that's it. Well, pretty much like you give it away as a free download, but it's mm-hmm. not really 
like you're getting no value from it as an artist because like the value you get from a follow is then this very monetizable fan base in the future. It's like if you have a hundred thousand engaged fans that got to your page because of free shit, but then you tell them to go do a thing that costs money, like go to a show or buy a shirt or something like that. So it's like incredibly fucking valuable. Yeah. They'll come back to you over and over again. Right. After that first thing you give them for free, then you have like a captive audience, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing I think where like maybe this other model that say house people, for instance, take doesn't necessarily work as well because it's really hard for someone to become a fan. You know, it's sort of like the thing, like everyone's a stranger until you let them be your friend type thing, right? It's like, you know, how are you supposed to like make a fan if you don't sort of like show them why they should be in the first place kind of thing? I mean, the other huge thing is, especially now, like that everyone is using Spotify and these streaming services to listen to their music and not have, you know, you don't have to download something and have it take up space in your computer. The people that are downloading those tunes are other DJs and producers, right. and then they're playing out your tune. And that's hugely helpful is just people playing your music. People hear that they ask them who it is, or they just like hear it later on your SoundCloud. And they're like, that's the song I heard. I love this song. Mm-hmm. And they already have that familiarity and that excitement from like hearing it out and hearing it live. As an, as an aside, imagine a house music tune that's eight minutes long in full lossless quality. That's a huge file. Most bass music tunes are two to three minutes. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, I, I imagine so the, down, you know, so downloading a, a also the, like the war of the small hard drive was over a long time ago, I think. Yeah, or like a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, somewhat. Now I feel you like can it's get back a, a, now again it's a, a little now that you can't buy more hard drive space for your Mac. Like, it's a good point. I can't can buy more have hard a... drive space for my Mac, so now I'm like, it's it's a bigger deal for me to keep some hard drive space. Obviously, like you can back things up and put it on a external, but right. But there's like you can put a terabyte in a fucking USB stick now. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Yeah, crazy. I have <laughs> I have uh, four terabytes of solid states in my desktop, and like, yeah, all of them are like the size of a very very small packet of cigarettes basically yeah or like actually you know those little uh packets of extra gum it's like uh-huh. yeah. that that's how big they are and yeah then i just have four of those in my computer and they're insanely fast and yeah yeah um so i'm curious like what what's the biggest show and the smallest show you've ever thrown well i mean smallest show the earliest wormholes were like five to ten people just <laughs> yeah. on the patio of this bar and uh what was the biggest the was biggest there... was um you know, it's kind of hard to say because we've been involved in like did, did promoting you, some did, bigger things, but oh, yeah, because the because the, the closey like sellout. Oh yeah, that. yeah. So I mean, those would be the biggest is like co-promoting with the venue on like closey and on the G Jones show we did at the UC Theater because that's a fourteen hundred cap venue. Closey sold it out. G Jones was just like twelve hundred. Yeah, so no like more 12, than that. It was like thirteen, maybe. just shy of selling out. Yeah, right. So Dude, uh, that's the other thing about like sh- just shy sellouts. I also want to talk about um, like quite often artists will put into their deals like backends and shit like that. And I've seen a few times where like someone will be just shy of selling out, and the artist just buys the last fifty tickets because it's like makes sense financially to yeah. do that. Yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> just to hit the sellout, hit the backend. So yeah, like, we, I mean, we can talk more about backends if you want as well. Yeah. Um, I, well, let's get into like contracting stuff in a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So for the the biggest shows were, you know, pro- probably those. No, the Noisia Halloween and show. And then, was yeah, the biggest wormhole big. Wednesday was wormhole Halloween with Noisia, Eprom, uh, Ankle Pants, and <laughs> Saruta B2B, Nowhere the Boy. How was, uh, how was the Ankle Pants set? That was great. Uh, it was hilarious. He, he, there's His monitor was going out and he was like, 
into his mic being like gleb like through like a modulated like whatever like through an effect like and i'm like is that my name and he's like yo this monitor's out and i'm i'm just like this is like three in the morning it was, it was so like, i'm like i'm like kind of fucked up so right? he, he played like lost uh he yeah. played he played two to three and then there was a secret duff reset closing yeah. out okay um which is kind of your reward for getting through ankle pants uh <laughs> oh, reward, there was there was, huh? there was well there so there was some people that like didn't that knew what it was and were excited for it and then there was definitely a good amount of people that didn't know what it was some of those people were stoked and some of them were not so it's like you have Noisia and then you have Eprom. Um, it's and now two in the morning and this guy comes on stage with a moving dick nose and it's squirting on you in the crowd. And I definitely remember seeing a lot of comments squirting. the next day. Uh, people weren't were sure, like, people people weren't were sure like, what was squirting. What was that? I was like, <laughs> hi, having a good trip. I had just seen two of my favorite acts and then that happened and I just had to leave. And other people were like, I can't, I, did, I had no idea what that was going to be, but it was awesome. <laughs> I'm oh, wow. sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> Some people were like angry about it. But uh, well, that was also part of why we did it on tripping. Halloween because we we were talking to him about picking up a tour date. We tr- we wanted to do it anyway, and there was actually there was another date that were, made more sense for his routing. We could have gotten him for like probably like half the price, but we were like, no, nah, let's do this on Halloween. We'll pay like more because I think you had to fly from like the East Coast instead of like L.A. or something. We're like, but it'll be worth it because then Halloween sells out always sells out we know there's gonna be like 700 it was more we it way was, oversold the venue that night it was intentionally we were trying to fuck with people yeah we're like this it, this is perfect for halloween and yeah. also if we just if you're just the headliner on a random night there's gonna be some people that come out because they know ankle pants and like it'll be a small night for us but we'd rather put you in front of a huge crowd of people if right, you're gonna right, do right. this and be like yo check out this weird shit <laughs> yeah well that's the thing I, so like ankle pants i've known known for so long like he's an old friend of mine from australia i've had him on the podcast as well and like um the way i feel about it is it's like the most intelligent shit like oh it is yeah (laughs) how he makes his music and like the amount of like intention and thought that goes into it is really impressive and the amount of thought and just skill that goes into like making his live setup and like his his uh outfit and like all the mechanical parts and like the prosthetic face and like just everything about it is so impressive but it all gets lost on people because a not everybody is that technically apt so they don't really know what they're looking at so you have to really explain to them why it's cool uh and then secondly um it's just i think like very intentionally supposed to be I don't know, challenging, I suppose. And it's yeah, just, it's, yeah. cha- it's fun. It was funny talking to him about it too. Cause like, <laughs> I just, think a lot of people see it as silly and he sees it very as like, he's very not, serious, not silly, but like serious and like meant to, meant to like spook you and make yeah. you uncomfortable, but it's, like, not just like as a joke, like, which I think, Unfortunately, it does come off that way to a lot of people. Well, when you're wagging your fucking penis nose in everybody's face, it's kind of like, you know, it's just, it's distracting. It's hard, yeah. It's, it distracts people from the fact that there's a hundred fucking MIDI inputs or microphone inputs. Like he's, yeah, that the he's whole thing is controlled through like his 100. body suit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a technological wonder right, right, what right. he's doing. It's but like, I mean, it's amazing. Right off the bat, when I first saw a video of him on the internet, I was like, the way the penis nose was moving on its own through the whole set. Yeah, it's very I alluring. was like. It was alarming, but it was also like I liked it. That some like serious programming went into what that thing is doing, and yeah. it like was it. It looks like so, someone it, who really knows what they're doing, which he does. Was obviously, it, was it the boiler that, room, boiler room? Yeah, it was set? the boiler room. Yeah. one. Boil- and then it was great when we had him too, because I'd mostly watched like the boiler room video and videos from around then. And in those, he 
he's he's mixing in like Ableton, I think, but he he didn't have the whole suit with uh, all the little electrode like motion activated triggers. So he was like, we were talking to him about what we'd seen, and he was like, well, now it's all like wireless. Right. It's just me moving my arms and legs. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys, um, and this is kind of not necessarily related to tangle pants, but related to like the concept of people not getting it. Uh-huh. Um, when you have something that's like that technical and people don't get it, do you blame the people or do you make the thing simpler so that everybody can get it? And then do you think like the simpler thing that everybody gets is a more powerful thing just because everyone gets it? Or do you think that the more technically interesting, crazy thing is the, is the more powerful thing, but because everybody doesn't get it and the message kind of gets lost on everyone, it then becomes sort of less powerful. I, I love this question. Cause I've like, I was literally just thinking about yesterday about how much my opinion on this has changed over the years. Cause I used to really just crave the most, uh, not just in live terms of live setup, but also just like the music itself, like the cr- most crazy broken shit that I could get my hands on. And during things that, you know, a set of just like dance floor bangers, I'd be sit standing in the crowd, my friends would be loving and I'd be like, yeah, this is all right, I guess. And these days I almost get more enjoyment out of something I know that other people will like as well. And I was kind of wondering to myself if that was the product of being a promoter and like worrying about how many tickets things sell. But also Whoa. I've kind of over the years, this, you know, there's, it- a, there's almost a greater art to making that simple thing in some ways and making something yeah. that's so relatable because... I don't know. Something I've learned from just like years of producing also is that you can just use a bunch of effects and make something really crazy sounding. And what's much harder is making something crazy sounding that is also like relatable to other people and is really dialed in. Right. And making like making a simple song with a noise that's just so like fat, but still like and unique that it stands out to people, even though the tune is really simple or weird or harsh or whatever, like. Like you can make a really simple song be super unique just by using a interesting sound. So I think I know an artist that like nails this, who who everybody appreciates for being quite intelligent, but also like the most basic EDM fans who have just gotten into the scene can also understand it. And that's G Jones. Oh yeah. Like, I, I knew think, you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah. I knew you were going to say that. I think he's like perfectly like got he, that. Dude, he's like my, I, yeah. I think we, we probably both agree that he's like probably both of our favorites. Well, yeah. We've been listening to him since before the g jones day yeah. when he was grizzly j right and <laughs> yeah the, the early days of g jones it was really like pretty and melodic at first and then he really dialed in just that ridiculously minimal sound but that was always so fat and so dance floor friendly and, and it's now so- he's it's great seeing him branch out and do the more experimental technical stuff now but i don't think he would ever have gotten the response that he does to what he's doing right now if he hadn't developed this fan base of just knowing that he was going to crush the dance floor every well, time. Well, that was very intentional on his part. Yeah, definitely. He definitely, like, because his early stuff was very experimental, and he intentionally like, simplified and went banger mm-hmm. and built up this crowd so that he could go and drop some Aphex Twin-type shit on, right. on yeah. them, which is what he's doing now, you know? And yeah, once, you, yeah. once you have enough people in front of you, you, you can, can give them whatever you want, yeah. and they're, they're down. But also, like, there's something... Yeah, ridiculously cool about all those minimal bangers that he made because, you know, even people I knew that like liked all the craziest, like weirdest glitch hop at the time and things like that could still appreciate that for just being so clean and well produced and just anyone would listen to it and just kind of dance to it as pleasant music. It wasn't and it was at a time where like we were just coming out of like everyone listening to Bro Step and the bangers of the time were just like the most aggressive things. And it's like, 
had all the same dance floor energy, but with these really nice, pleasant noises. Right. So I think, um, like, I, I look at, uh, say, electronic music in a similar way to how I look at stand-up comedy. Uh-huh. I look at it as kind of like setups for punchlines, basically. And if if you've ever, like, watched really good stand-up, you can notice that, like, the the comic will be taking you down this, like, really fucking weird path and, like, introducing more and more complex ideas as they go. And then the punchline is, like, some pretty complicated, like, strange, fucked-up, obscure situation but is so funny because of like the whole setup and i feel like electronic music is similar in that way sometimes especially someone like greg's music where the whole setup is so like complicated and stuff and then like what the drop like if you just listen to the drop on its own you might be like oh that's a bit too much or that's a bit weird or like whatever but if you like listen to it in context of the set or in just the song itself it uh becomes this really like impressive interesting punchline definitely and i mean and i think he's just a master of that yeah he's a master of like putting you in in the right space for the to, to introduce it to like i think he really must think a lot about like how things are gonna be on the first listen because like on the first listen of any g jones track i can understand it but also appreciate how intelligent it is and then it has like incredible amount of re-listen value as well where you can listen to it again and again you know still more and more still keep getting new shit out of it <laughs> he's one of the few people that we both listen to like over and over yeah, and over again. I, I, that's the probably there's what so I listen detail. to most lately. There's so much fucking like when you really like listen over and you, you hear all these Yeah, especially in these last two albums. Oh my god. Right, right. Um another person that I think uh does that really well, especially in in a live setting, is Yeti. And that definitely wasn't the case when we first started like listening to and booking Yeti. And I remember having a conversation with him once where he was like, Yeah, I've learned that you can't just hit people with the weirdest shit the entire time right but if you start getting them dancing and they're like bobbing their head to like you know a pretty simple dubstep tune for like and you know it's just you just have them dancing for like 15 minutes and then you play the weirdest tune ever they get so much more satisfaction out of that than when it's just like an hour of like break horror and just like weird experimental brokenness well it's like contrast isn't it it's kind of like um if you see like a really heavy neuro set it's like by itself one of those neuro tracks if it plays by in spotify or something like let's say um i don't know like a noisier track for instance or um maybe not noisier uh but like just i don't know like, like the billin or something something yeah billin's yeah. actually a fucking yeah. great example like if you hear one billin track in a spotify playlist of drum and bass or a spotify playlist of anything you'll be like holy fuck like that is a fucking tune but i've seen billin play twice and when you listen to his stuff for like an entire hour it kind of just gets gray because it's and not to talk shit on Bill Anary, says it's just he has like a, static. It turns yeah. into like right. He has a very specific like sound that he's going yeah. for. But the thing that Yeti does so well in sets is he paints with a lot of contrast. So he's like he'll play something that's like very simple, and then something that's incredibly aggressive, and then like a chip tune track, and then a fucking breakcore tune, and he, then like he, a, th- a really I mean, there was even a period of time where I, what you just yeah. said about Bill sets. I felt about your sets for like a couple years. You were <laughs> really just going full on crazy you, the whole time. And you know what that was is that I would only play originals. So yeah. I would literally just play all my music. And and at the time, my thought process was like, well, you know what? Fuck people. Like if they don't <laughs> like the set. I mean, like this is the music I have, right? It's the music yeah. that I've been writing. And I've put this limitation on myself to just play my own music. So if you don't like it, then I'm sorry. Well, but I loved it. That's yeah. all I have, right? But, I mean, I yeah, I still, there's definitely times where it just like, you know, even though the craziest shit is happening in front of you, like halfway through, you're like, huh, I kind of need a break. Like, right, right. I, don't, I, I have can't... a different view on it these days. And my view actually came from a conversation with Yeti where he was like, yeah, I kind of feel like your sets are a little gray and, and I feel like they need more contrast. And he then said I said that to you. 
yeah and and then um I, I started like uh playing other people's tunes in uh -huh. my set and like just trying to become a better dj in general and now a i have a lot more fun showing people tunes that i really like plus my own shit and cool. two i think people respond a lot better to my sets now as well and and all that stuff so that's great yeah and i i mean over the past few years you've written a lot more stuff that is those kind of like dance floor friendly tunes it's still like got enough like super fresh sounds and like complex little glitches and fills to sound like a proper mr bill tune mm -hmm. but <laughs> the meat of the tune is more catchy and repetitive <laughs> right and that you know you need some of that repetition and i remember i like i've talked to kill smith about the same thing where he's like my old music is just like super crazy the whole time stutter edits and like everywhere you can still have like all these crazy parts <laughs> in your song and still give people something catchy to dance to and i loved that stuff too that's like what made me fall in love with this music but i mean you can see like literally every case we just talked about the crowd definitely responds better when there's a balance of both totally and when things go full crazy for a minute and you've already been just like you know you're on the dance floor you're high you're just lost in the set and then all of a sudden this super weird crazy broken thing happens you're like whoa what is going on <laughs> and then it comes back and there's like a catchy melody again and you're like but it can't be too boring yeah it can't either. be too boring and too but, simple yeah, yeah. Have, have either of you guys uh, read david burns book uh like I, I forget what it's called it's like your brain on music or like this no, is I, I haven't what's the crux of the thing so the one of his like main points is like basically like, the thing that allures people or drink, brings people into a song is that it's familiar and then it resolves in a way that you would not expect right so like so he actually talks about skrillex in the book and he's like it's familiar it's like he's not doing anything new with music theory but the sounds are like they're like alarming. They like, uh, they, they're like, uh, they trigger your like, uh, primitive, like fucking animal response. Cause it's yeah. like loud. It's like, it's like, it's like a catastrophe is happening, you know, cause it's right. so loud and harsh. It's, it's weird. Cause when I think about when I first heard Skrillex, when it was first coming out, yeah. I was like, whoa, this is the most like aggressive, like crazy shit I've ever heard. And when yeah. I go back and listen to those tunes now, I'm like, it was actually pretty simple. And like, right. just had like, no yeah. one was using those. So like quite as harsh, aggressive so, noises. So at the, the, time. the steps of like music evolving like that, we're like, we're going to surprise people with this new like sound design or whatever. That's actually a good point because it's like, if you think about like Metallica, they're so huge. Yeah. Literally it's like country music meets metal. And then if you think about something <laughs> yeah. else, you know, you're right. man. And then if you think about like dead mouse, it's like fucking Trent Reznor meets t trance. Yeah. yeah. You know? So it's, I think like, yeah, those combinations are really powerful, huh? Have you have you heard yeah, the, the 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 rascal tune, uh, like the RMR? <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's a, it's a, I, I got Gleb, Gleb called me at one in the morning last night, I, telling me I had to remix this thing. It's a <laughs> it's a country trap ballad. It's a country trap ballad. Oh it's a, it's, a it's like the follow up to Old Town Road, but by it's, a different it's a, artist. It's basically a cover of a Rascal Flat song, but sang by like a like a. It's it sounds like a like a church like R&B singer, but he's, but the music video is all these guys in ski masks with, holding with guns. guns and, <laughs> and they're like singing about like, like I love you and like all these sleepless nights. It's like, and yeah. And then the, the I, I don't know, the peak <laughs> moment for me in the track was definitely when he, he sings, what, what is it? I came up and so can you and a big fuck you to the boys in blue yeah, and fuck you to <laughs> the boys in blue. And it's all like country, but it's also like, it's it's you know. like it's an emo fucking it's like I love you like kind of song, <laughs> but he's like pointing an Uzi in your face the whole time in the music video. Yeah, I don't know how this oh yeah. this came up through the contrast and like yeah, 
it's it, it a lot of the a lot of the lyrics and subject matter are just seems so out of place with yeah. just like it's it's literally just like an acapella over like a little bit of piano yeah. there's no drums in the entire thing and which is why i told him that he should put fucking drums yeah, on it and it put would it on be YouTube. it would be easy to remix i don't really know if i could see <laughs> it going in my set but <laughs> it, it would be fun it would definitely get a lot of plays on youtube <laughs> so i want to i want to um circle back uh you said like when you first started booking yeti he had like a pretty uh like more crazy sound than he does now or whatever definitely um, yeah, there's some straight there's some straight break I remember this there's like a break yeah he doesn't play a break that was anymore, uh, right. like a mashup of uh the Beastie Boys and these Mario samples yeah. and just like had all these rapid tempo changes where it goes that, up to like 999 I think, BPM I, I think and that's then that's on a Dayton Dubs uh yeah I, th- I think it actually came out uh, yeah it's it, Dayton Dubs yeah Dayton when he when he still went by Yeti Master so, so there would be stuff like that and just it was it was just I mean I also you know it was just like <laughs> He's gotten better at producing and he's really refined his sound at the same time. <laughs> right, right. I, I really want to talk about like the first time you booked him. Can you um was this well, a frosty? No, that was that was the yoga studio party. No, it well, the first time I booked him was for Frosty Fractals with yeah. Bill. There we and go. That was his so, birthday, actually. When I when that I first was, met that was Yeti's birthday. When Did I you first know that? Yeah. Um I gave him a I gave him an amethyst. Nice. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I really want to talk about Frosty Fractals. Okay. Well, yeah, let's so talk about let me it. preface by saying <laughs> but the first time uh, I met Yeti. I was playing a set at this festival that used to happen called the Filth of July, which was just, it was 4th of July weekend and there was heavy dubstep. So they called it the Filth of July. Um, and I was playing my set and there was this guy with like a really, his, he was bald, except he had one really long rainbow dreadlock that dripped down to like his butt. And he just kept handing me joints while I played because I was playing music that was like weirder than what 95% of the party was playing. I had no idea who he was. And he just kept handing me joints going, keep going, man, keep going. This is great. And then like, I found him on the internet later and looked him up and was like, oh, wow, this is like what I'm trying to do, but more evolved and with like several more years of experience behind it. Because that was probably like the first year I was even producing and that's playing really, that's really cute yeah can so I, then can, we, I, can, we, I, can, I, can i just tell you how adorable that is yeah, and how much cute. i love that it was cute and a sea <laughs> of bro step we were the people trying to keep it weird um so we became fast friends and then yeah frosty fractals was i think the first time i booked him frosty fractals was the first party i ever threw before wormhole was the thing um that we even charged money for we'd thrown a couple just like renegades in the woods before that yet he might have played one of those but i, I don't think so but, I, I really want to talk about Frosty yeah, Fractals. Yeah, Frosty Fractals. That, that was like the first thing you did, right? It, it, that was the first real thing I did. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The first um, and that was Fractals. That was 20, like one of your first few shows in the States, right? That was uh, show number three for me in yeah. the States. That, what year was that? That was 2012. Yeah, so March I, 2012. I, right? yep, yep. My, so my I, friend heard you were coming um, <laughs> and he was like an even bigger fan of you than I was at the time. Who was um, that, I was Kevin? Just, yeah, I had like just... Was that Kevin? Yeah, that was Kevin. Um Shout out Kevin Sawyer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love Kevin. Was he the... He's not the guy who puts on Motion Ocean, is he? No, no, no. he's not. I'm not sure what he's up to these he's days. He's in Arcata, yeah. just laying low. But anyway, he he really wanted to book you. We were going to do just like a renegade at our friend's parents' house. Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> said friend's parents were out of town <laughs> on vacation in Hawaii because they have like a huge property in the this santa cruz like mountains a terrible idea Doesn't, yeah and then looking back on it right and then we wanted to book like more and more people um and like a lot of the people that are like these days really huge that played then like, yeah, like g jones was still grizzly j yeah. he played yeti played it was funny yeti had just changed his name from yeti master to 
uh, Yeti. And yeah. Yeti Master was Y-E-T-I, and Yeti is Y-H-E-T-I. And we built it as Yeti Master with the H, which Tyler thought was funny because his name was never quite either of those things. Right, right, right. It was just kind of this weird mix, but he didn't even like and also, correct um, us. Bleep Bleep played? Oh, yeah. I think... Bleep I think Bleep Bleep played the second year for sure. Sugar Pill played. Uh, no, not Sugar Sugar the Pill. Fir- we played, we booked right after that. You know what? You played Sugar Pill. Bog Trotter, Bog Trotter so. played, um, which Sorry, was Kelly. a very last minute ad because someone just hit me up and was like, hey, this guy Bog Trotter is uh, just in town hanging in Santa Cruz for a few weeks. And I was like, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll throw him on like five in the morning. <laughs> I still got a slot. Six has played like all sorts. And most of those people were just like local people that right, we right. just happen to be friends with. And it's. Pretty crazy where also, their careers um, have gone. The fruit but, bat and, played that too. Oh yeah, fruit oh. bat. Lot, all sorts of people. Lab rat. Um, Dude, you know what? Those QSCs slapped. Yeah, um, it was a, the fattiest QSC system I've ever heard. But to, to give everyone <laughs> a perspective on why we think it's so funny to be talking about frosty fractals, like a month before this party, it was supposed to be a one night like thing. We decided to just add a second night and turn it into a campout. We had no idea what we we're doing. And then, like, the week of the party, Bill was already staying at my my girlfriend at the time's house in Santa Cruz. Um, Coloma house. Yeah, with a few few days off before the show. And I remember getting a call from a, someone that I thought was a cop. It was this woman being <laughs> like, hey, are you Forever Endeavor? Which was our, like, production company name. And I was like, uh, uh, who is this? And she was like, I was just wondering if this is who I talked to about buying tickets. And I was like, the ticket link is on the... Uh, Facebook event, just buy a ticket there. Yeah. She's like, oh no, but I want to buy a ticket from you. Like, are you the guy in charge? And That's I was like, uh, so I was like, and at this point, also the friend whose house we were doing this at, I never actually never met him yet. So he was the friend of the other friend I was throwing the party with. What's and this? I was about to hang up on her because I literally thought it was the cops. We had just like, we had just like two days before put up posters around downtown Santa Cruz, <laughs> which is still not quite sure how she got my number actually. But <laughs> I was about to hang up and she was like, wait, 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 no. This is the property owner. I'm <laughs> I'm Kevin's mom. Kevin threw the party in other Kevin's house. We were throwing it at. She's like, yeah. So this is like not happening. I was like, okay. Well, I at this point still oh, haven't mess up. I am and yeah. I, I at this point that is a dope property that they I, I at this point yes. Okay. Well, so I am in charge. I've never met your son. So uh, you're gonna have to give my friend Kevin a call here, and he can. <laughs> He can talk to you because, like, oh I haven't even God. been talking to your son. I've just been like booking artists and whatever. So, um, so, <laughs> so Dude, I is, hang up on her after that, and I call good. my friend, and I'm like, good. okay, so Kevin's mom's about to call you, and she's really pissed off, and I'm just giving you a heads up that's happening right now. Um, and obviously, <laughs> we couldn't do the party there anymore, so we posted on the Facebook event page like. Hey, so this sounds really bad and unprofessional, obviously, but we lost the spot we're doing the party at. Does anyone have like somewhere we can do it instead? This is like how many days before? Uh, this is like t- two days before, three days before, um, <laughs> two. three days before max. Um, and how many tickets had you already sold? Uh, I don't know, probably like over a hundred or so. Um, okay, party was like okay. we probably sold like 200, 250 tickets all good. weekend. Yeah, That's pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. But uh. Yeah, so you weren't, you, weren't about had, to, you weren't about to let this party go down. Yeah, like in flames. So our friend, it was going to happen. Our friend Chris Light saved one the day. way or another. He right? hit us up. He was right? like a Santa okay. Cruz local. I actually hadn't met him yet either, but he knew like a lot of my friends. But he was like, "I got a spot. You guys can probably do this at." Um, and it was these kids' property. They like rented it for. Um, 
Well, actually, this dude's cousin rented the property, From but this dude lived on it. Um, and the guy, the guy who like actually paid the rent on it, just used it once a year for this giant birthday bash for himself. And they would just have like bluegrass bands play. Yeah, Apparently, everyone would fight each other. Um, <laughs> they had a sh- there's a, basically a shooting range with the stage. Yeah. Um, and so, and this, this property, you have to, it's literally on all, on all three, like three sides are Nicene Mark State Park. So there's literally no neighbors. And then the other side is a mile long dirt road that goes up to it, um, where you have to cross four creeks and it, it rained, it rained the whole week leading up to the party. So that meant that whole road was mud. And if you didn't have four wheel drive, um, you couldn't drive up the road. So you would park at the bottom. Yeah. I remember like rocking up to the party. Did you walk? No. So they were like, you, oh, you have to. Yeah, they were basically, when I rocked up, they were pretty much like, you, you, like, like what, you can't like go down there. You, 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 need to. you said rocked? No, no, no. I, I like rocked up to the party. Wait, what? Like, like, like when you drove up, when he, no, when like he got arrived. there. No, like you when rocked. he arrived. No, like yeah. rock. Like that's how you fucking. <laughs> he said I, yeah he said arrived and i said i heard rock no, he I, said did, rocked I did say rocked up like I no that's up. what i'm trying to make sure that you said that yeah, yeah i did say that yeah. that's cool i like that okay okay so anyway i got there and they were like yeah you can't go down this path because it's like all mud so you have to get a ride down with this dude in this four-wheel drive so <laughs> did, I, you have a, did you have a cowboy hat on yes he did <laughs> and i got in and he's like oh so you're playing tonight and i was like yeah man and he's like oh yeah cool check this out and he like opened his glove box and just pulled out a fucking pistol yeah <laughs> and i was like what <laughs> yeah and he's I, like yeah you want to shoot it and i was like uh in a jeep cherokee yeah dude i and, rode and, with that guy too man like, so i thought i was gonna die bro. he did not drive safely he was just hammering no. it around this thing yeah they, he broke his car by the end of the weekend yeah i mean there's there's several people they were all i mean all pretty much the same person just different dudes uh all giving rides in their jeeps uh, up up yeah, to the top and yeehaw. so you would you would you would get get there you would throw your camping gear all your bags in our friend's like van because it was just like was a van, kevin, van was, with no seats in it that so was it, kevin's van right no that was uh brenny's van i think um but <laughs> yeah so dude i lost so my that, bags that, for the whole weekend yeah basically it, is you, what would, I'm you to would say. you would throw all your stuff in the, the van because the van could fit like a ton of bags and then you and like four other people would get in a car with a hillbilly um, that was <laughs> my guy was just blasting Gogo Berdello at like yeah. as loud as his car would go. Yeah. And, and just like like, <laughs> like, like drift, s- drifting through the corners on this dirt road. This is a very narrow dirt road also where you can fall off the cliff on one side. Right, right. But these guys obviously just drove this all the time. And thankfully, like, you know, the guy we rented the property from, he could clearly tell we had no idea what we were doing. He's like, well, you guys are like hopeless like i'm gonna call a bunch of my friends and make sure this party goes off which they did like help do everything they also like they also like so like the same one of the same guys that drove everyone up to the top um that night at like four in the morning he just like drives onto the dance floor and just like does like five donuts in his jeep sprays mud all over like our front of house booth and sprays all of our lighting and sound guys with mud and gets all of their all of their mixers and gear are just covered in mud and then just drives off but that same guy that did that also <laughs> also towed the truck that was carrying all the sound and lights out of a ditch it got stuck in on the way in. So, so he basically it. saved the party he, and then also like ruined a bunch of gear like six hours later. Was he, but, was he also the guy that shot the fucking branches down for the bonfire? I have no idea. There was, <laughs> he shot no, the there, well, yeah, these, yeah, so there was a giant bonfire that was- Shooting branches <laughs> off of these big ass fucking trees. Oh they're, my god, dude! They're, they're, so As you would, you, you just shoot them off. Like, there, there was a there was a bonfire. A that, it's up there. 
That's the, bon- the bonfire yeah. went from like before we got there till after we left. It was just <laughs> I remember one night too. There was this I uh, I was gonna die, this bro. really angry I, looking guy that was clearly not one of our hippie friends holding a can of gasoline, just looking angrily at the fire. And just every few seconds, he'd like run up to the fire, pour a bunch more gasoline on it. The flames would just go crazy. All these hippies would back up and look at each other like really scared. And this guy was just like, yeah, yeah. And then like do it again. And he just did that for a few hours. The other funny, <laughs> all, all these guys. This is really important. The, 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 this is really important that we're talking about this. Because the, the mountain guys were if like. If we didn't have this experience, we would not be doing like what we're they doing. Weren't, they, right? they were They were I mean, like, they were nice people debatable. and they helped it's us debatable. throw the whole party. They just did different <laughs> things for fun. Um, you know, we like to get high and listen to bass music. They like to get drunk and shoot guns and fight each other. They were, they were all really surprised when we told him, told them, they were like, what are you doing for security? And we're like, uh, I don't know. Like we got like a couple homies and they're like, you get, you're going to need a bunch of security if you're going to have this many people here. People are going to be fighting all over the place. And we're like, nah, no one really fights at our parties. And they're like, oh, at our parties, everyone fights each other. I fought this guy like last year, like, um, that was, that was just normal for them. And so on top of all of that, um, all these guys, there's more, all all these, well, all these mountain boys that like shot guns and fought each other for fun. Um, we're like taking like acid and like two CB and all these psychedelics that they were getting from our hippie friends at the party. So they were all like higher than they'd ever been in their lives on drugs. They'd never tried (laughs) with with guns in their holsters. So, and we didn't have any sort of like medical (laughs) team or anything there. There wasn't even really a bathroom though. We were supposed to be able to use the house on the property, but both nights, like something happened. Like the first night someone broke in a door and the property owner just locked it. And our friend was supposed to build a little outhouse that he forgot to set up the first night. So everyone was shitting in the woods. And at the end of the party, not everyone. Well, not everyone. I didn't, the, I didn't shit the whole weekend, bro. Yeah. yeah. Before t- the party started, we were we knew that there was only going to be like one toilet there. So we were posting on the event page on Facebook. Shit before you come. Poop before you come. And we just had all our friends post that all over Facebook. Thing, man. And then at the end of the weekend, I had to go around the property and uh, I had to clean up all the renegade poops with a shovel because I promised him that I would. I, like when we rented the property, I, he was like, OK, like. You have yourself a deal, but if there's any renegade poops, you got to walk around and clean them all up. So I did. And our friend that had forgotten to set up the outhouse in the, the first night, he had to walk the trash bag of poops like down the hill at the end of the weekend because no one wanted in their cars. Um, that was his punishment for forgetting to do that. And then, yeah, like I remember... Wow, did you did you want to know about Frosty Fractals? Because you just got like yeah, dude. And I remember like the first night, dude shut down shut down the down the house bathroom because someone broke in the door and he was all pissed off at me. And then the next morning he was like, "Hey, I'm really sorry about that. I thought about it, and uh, someone kicking in my door was um, much more likely one of my friends and not one of your friends. So I'll let you guys use the bathroom again." <laughs> We're wow. like, "Okay, cool, yeah." It was Damn definitely it. one of your it just friends. Gets better and better. Holy shit. So, yeah. And then the, I remember like the day after you played the next morning, I was trying to find a ride for you out of the property. Um, the next day for me was insane too. Cause like I had to wake up. I mean, I had to be at the airport at like 8 a.m. Cause I had to play in Montreal oh, the next terrible. night. Dude, yeah, I was playing Montreal the next night from Santa Cruz. So like I had to that's leave. Like a six, that's seven hour, eight hour. It was a mission fucking. Yeah. And then like we did, me and Ryan together did this huge travel day to Montreal. And then at the customs gate in Montreal, he got uh, detained and locked in like a prison thing for trying to go. Where did you guys fly through? Uh, Montreal. Oh, so it was direct to Montreal. 
uh well i think we went through like new york or something yeah Seattle but anyway or something yeah yeah something like that so and after then, that whole travel day ryan gets detained <coughs> he gets detained he, he gets detained in montreal spent like a night there i think in a like a uh, whatever you call it like an asylum prison or yeah, something yeah, basically like that basically the, i talked to jim yeah, last he's, week on he's stuffed in a baguette basically you pretty much and then he they were like all right you can't come in we're gonna send you all the way back to san francisco so he just had to fly <laughs> instantly all the way oh, back Jesus. did he get a free he ride back to yeah they yeah they paid for his that's plane not, to go back. that's not you know, but free. well I thought, yeah, I thought it was when I was looking for a ride for you. I was looking for a ride for someone, and I went up to all the guys that had been. There's like four dudes that all had jeeps there that were shuttling people up, and I walk up to one of them. He has like two holsters with guns in them yeah. around his side, like on a vest. Yeah, and uh, I'm like, hey, we guy. need like just one ride down the hill for like our headliner that played. Like, is there any way one of you guys could do it? And he, uh, he goes. We all wrecked our Jeeps last night driving everyone up here <laughs> recklessly. So none of us can even drive our cars right now. And then he just snaps his suspenders where the guns are on and goes, plus we've been drinking. You don't want us driving anyway. And then they like literally just all walked off like single file into the woods to go shoot guns to trees some more. And I was like, cool, this is where we're at, I guess. <laughs> why Why is this like the nascent, like the, the birth of whatever the fuck oh is going God, on dude. now with us? You know, I mean, this is an important, this is a critical moment in our. I just wanted to start throwing, throwing parties. Somehow. Um, okay. Me yeah, and my friends, it, like one time in high school, we went on an acid trip um, where we like started saying the term forever endeavor, but endeavor is spelled like an endeavor, you know? Um, Wait. And we just said, it's a forever endeavor, endeavor, endeavor over and over again. Oh. And then when we started going to parties and festivals, we were like, we're going to throw our own festival one day and it's not going to have any of the shitty music that we have to listen to at all these other festivals. And we're going to call the company forever endeavor. So that's what we launched as none of those people like Except those, for you. Yeah. Like I think, yeah, basically no one actually like had <laughs> that interest or like drive to really throw oh, parties. So and ever, Oh, I get forever it endeavor, endeavor I and ever until just now. Yeah. So yeah, like it was really in, funny on acid. Endeavor to do something. <laughs> yeah. What's that song? It's like, Forever and ever. Oh, God. Just last forever. Yeah. Oh, Blake, Blake yeah, yeah. And right. <laughs> a little oh, different, sorry. but that, yeah. That's, that's sidetrack, so but yeah. Right <laughs> no, sing it. <laughs> I can't uh, sing. That's why I'm a DJ. Right, right. Yeah. yeah so that's kind of just how all that started. And then we <laughs> threw a few more parties. That's an incredible story. I, I, lost, I lo <laughs> lost all the money I was throwing these parties with and stopped for a while. And then you guys started doing Wormhole. Yeah. And then you were like, I didn't really want help. Well, I didn't really want to get involved at first when it was just like Shit. on the patio. Yeah. Let's maybe like circle back to contracting because like yeah. that's one thing uh, that I would kind of like to talk about. I know Back it's like deals and things. <clears throat> maybe a few managerial things. Cause I feel like, uh, like one thing that w helps a lot of people who listen to this podcast, like a lot of people who, who are listening are just like aspiring producers and shit like that. So things like this, just to hear more about the back end of the industry. Like I talked about a lot of back end shit with say Jesse and Anand. Uh -huh. And I, I feel like a lot of those kind like that, those pieces of information really gives like aspiring producers who don't fully understand how the industry works. Cause they're not, they haven't been involved in it really. Like all they've done is just sat in their bedroom, sort of wrote music. Um, <clears throat> so it's really nice to, to get some insights from people like you who are on, you know, on the inside of the industry to, and, and on both sides, which right, is exactly. helpful. Well, yeah, you're specifically on both sides, which gives you some interesting insights as well. Um, yeah. So like, what are you wondering specifically? Um, there's, I mean, I guess like, here's a good question. Like, for an aspiring producer, like what's what would your suggestion be for them if they're trying to get booked at say an event like Wormhole or something like that? Because a lot of people who are just making beats in their bedroom want to start playing shows, right? The, like, the biggest thing I would say 
first of all is that you need to hit up the people you want to play for. Um, I, so you think I have, hit, hit up promoters directly? Uh, yeah, figure out who the promoter is and hit them up is definitely a good start. There, it's kind of funny how often I talk to people that are like, how come I've never played Wormhole? Like, how come you guys have never booked me? And I check through my email and my messages, and I've never gotten a single like message or email from them or a manager or an agent ever being like, hey, we'd like to come through Wormhole. Well, so here's um, a... And here, wait, the, the other part of that yeah. is... What's really helpful uh, also when you reach out to people is tell them when you want to play and what's going on for you around then. Because that's another thing that's I, I do get messages from people that are like, hey, I'd love to play Wormhole sometime. I'm like, great. So would literally everyone that makes bass music in the entire country. Right, right. But if I get an email from someone or even just a Facebook message sometimes that's like, hey, I am going to be in California, I'm playing this other show in LA on this date, or I'm playing like Womp and Humble on this date, and it'd be great to do Wormhole while I'm there. Then all of a sudden, if it's someone I want to book anyway, which is like um, most people that are dope, all of a sudden that becomes a priority. I'm like, hey, let's get you on while you're here. And, and that, that was a lot easier for us to do when we were doing the weekly. Well, yeah, because we always had a date. So it's harder now that we have less dates and all of our dates are really stacked with headliners, but it's still very helpful and that's also something that yeah, I learned. Reach out, reach out, network, fucking yeah. like express interest. The, so, I definitely this, got. What, what do they say? This the squeaky wheel. I've definitely I've gotten s some salty comments that I've seen from people over the years that think like most of my touring as an artist has come from connections I made through Wormhole, and that's not even the case at all. I it's all most of <clears throat> like the promoters I've become friends with that have booked me many times over the years started out with just a message of me being like, Hey, I'm going to be at, on your area at this time. Uh, I'd love to play. Yeah. And here's my music. Yeah. And be before I, before I started working with you or before you had an agent, you fucking grinded super hard. You connected with everybody, you know, fucking everybody all over the country. And there, yeah. And I mean, I and can say the same thing for a lot of people that played wormhole, like all the time, like some people played wormhole like two or three times a year. And it wasn't because they were, uh, like the biggest artists, some of them were our friends, which obviously like helps a little. We want to support our homies, but the biggest thing was that they would make it work. They would hit us up and be like, "Hey, even if you don't already have a date booked in that area, just being like, hey, I want to be in California on in these two weeks, yep. um, like three months from now.' Because even still, I have problems with like agents and artists hitting me up and being like, "Hey, I'm like going on tour next month or in two months." I'm like, I booked out the next four or five months already, so. Even though I would love to book you, like, I just don't have a date. I'm doing as many shows as I can. And like, yeah, like, give me like as much notice as possible. Right. So like, what we've also learned from just how far out we book things is that most of the promoters you really want to play for are booking out, like, we booked out our whole first like six months of the year, like, in January, basically, December and January. Or before that. Or before, yeah. January shows were getting booked out earlier, you know. But so by the time like February came, it was like, I've been telling everyone the same thing. If I respond at all, which is yeah, like we're booked out through June. I like don't have a date for you. I'd love to get you on when it makes sense, but like give me more notice. Like, we're, like what is it right now? It's like the end of February. Mm -hmm. We're getting hit up still for May and April, and I'm like, I, I got nothing, dude. So what about um? I got like, nothing for you. What about artists who are like really small and they don't have an agent? Like, how do they well sort of deal with the contractual side of things when they? Go uh, to focus I mean, like, does, the thing is, does the contract I mean, even matter really? But the the thing is, did, did, was it important for you as you were coming up when you were a small artist? 
Well, I, I well, mean, I, Bill had an agent even on his first tour. Yeah. That was like the first contract I ever signed. Right. Um, I, but but so what we were just talking about with me is even for like years before I had an agent, I was booking tours all around like a large portion of the country by myself. And I didn't do contracts for any of that stuff. But everyone I worked with was either a promoter I'd heard of myself or a homie recommended and was like, hey, if you're going to be over there, like play for those guys. And I had a few people just like notice that I was putting myself out there and hustling and be like, hey, let me help you do this. I do the same thing. Whereas a lot of people I feel like just kind of sit there and hope something happens, hope an agent signs them or someone just hits them up to book them. And I mean, I've seen that work for a very small handful of people. If that the first person bringing him up again that told me how to do this was Yeti. Yeti, when we met him, lived in California, um, and then he got laid off at his job at the weed farm and moved back to Ohio, and then he would come out every year to California. Every summer, he would play emissions in a bunch of California shows, and he would play everywhere he could on the way, which is like, you know, a bunch of Smallwood West shows closer to where he lives, and I was like, how are you doing this? Because he wasn't very big yet, right, right? and he was like, how you do it is just hit up everyone whose like, contact info you get offer to play for very cheap he was like play for 200 bucks 200 and bucks. just do that yeah that's that enough was... to get you from place to place and not be like totally broke but like no one is going to break the bank if right, right. if they can't get you 200 bucks <clears throat> to headline their small party it's probably not worth playing you know right, right, yeah. so that was hugely helpful so i'd like reach out to people and be like yo i'll play for super cheap because i'm going to be in the area this is halfway in between here and this other date i have um so you can do that without an agent and at you know, at that point in the time when I was doing that, and for a lot of time we we're doing Wormhole, like half the bass music scene, even bigger artists didn't have agents. And we're just kind of nego- like, there's way more agents, agencies, people representing people now. So, and I want you can I still add, do that without I want to add to that. Like, if you're at the level where you're only getting 200 bucks, you're better off developing a personal relationship with the promoter, right? With all of these promoters, with all these other artists. It's, it's the, I think the personal relationship, like this is a very like, I mean, like, this, this, we all know each other. It's very like, even though it yeah. feels like bass music is becoming this huge thing, it's still a very niche market where like yeah. everyone in the industry pretty much knows each other. No, if you don't know someone, you know, someone that knows them. Right. Um, and another big thing I would say on that is I've definitely like, you know, some producers make these like kind of sad boy posts about how slept on they are and. I especially notice uh, overlap with people who feel like they're totally overlooked and people who think that it's all about just the connections you have and like this term networking, which I find painfully ironic because like I was saying earlier, all the connections I've made started out with an email to someone I never met, sending them my music and telling them I was going to be around or wanted to be around. Um, And all that really comes down to is just like literally being vaguely polite to people hi hi how's hey, it going hi uh, i'm over here right right this is me this is who i am yeah um you know I, i'm not gonna say i don't say hey i'm an artist and i also throw a wormhole because i know that name familiarity helps right but whether you have that or not it's just like reaching out yeah. being like and no matter who you are if you're like at the point where you feel like you should start touring the country you probably have some label affiliation something where you can be like these are my homies this is who i've played for well i I also think people um like a few people who ask me this shit online which is like quite a lot because you know a lot of producers look to me sometimes i think as like a source of authority you're their you're their guru how do you start playing shows right yeah and a lot of them i'm like have you ever played a show 
And they're like, no. And I'm like, do you know how to DJ? I'm like, yeah, do you know how to DJ? And they're like, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I'll just like put the tracks in Ableton and play them. And it's like, you might want to like practice a little bit before. Yeah, yeah. that's a big yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's definitely, yeah, I've definitely noticed there's a good amount of people that have these big SoundCloud followings and stuff and have never really played a set. And sometimes we've even booked people with like pretty large followings that when they came and played, their set was like pretty all over the place. There's no real flow. Right. And yeah, they think... played a bunch of unmastered stuff that just sounded like garbage on a big system. And it was like very underwhelming for the crowd. Um, even though we, we personally liked, their even music. though we liked their music. Yeah, yeah. And wanted to book them. Yeah. I um, think I was definitely like that for a long time. Like, no, I would, I would play no, you're not, not you're in the same always... way. <laughs> okay. But, but, I don't know. The first time I heard you play at Frosty Fractals, well, I might have been high on acid and drunk on tequila, <laughs> but I, my my jaw was like uh, like down by yeah. the fire pit. Like but I was I, like, I will say, you know, like I was saying earlier about your sets being like a bit too crazy for what. Yeah, and I feel like when we first booked you for Frosty Fractals, that was that wasn't quite on the like too much range. Okay. You kind of got more into no, that, that later, especially as you branched sparkly. out more. It was like. You're, I'm listening to like future bass one mu- minute and then like 30 seconds later, I'm listening to heavy neuro drum and bass. And like, right, right. for me, I listen to everything and that's yeah. fine for me. I've never but had an issue cra- with, but, with, yeah. with your sets. Like, but, I'm like, I love all of like, But I can see why a lot of people in the crowd have very like specific taste. And when you jump around all over the place, like I used to have a huge problem doing the same thing where I'd play like, and I still go all over the place in terms of like style and tempo, but I found like, as you should, you know, I you should. should, I think that makes your sets dynamic, yeah. but there's also, you find those little things that tie all the tracks together, like a certain like range of sounds and like yeah, tones like, and stuff. Or that, a melodic, like a, like a theme or yeah, something, you know? without branching out too much. There's stuff I'd love or to play because I think it's uh, great, but it's like, relative key it just doesn't make sense in the middle of my set. Like right, just right. throwing in a random square pusher track or a random like cashmere cat track or something. It's just like, even no, though there's elements should, of that, it's just no, too much off that, one. I mean, I have, but it's got to be in a certain way. That's true. Like, I opened my set at the UNS, I think, like, last year with a Cashmere Cat track, but yep. instead of it dropping into Miramaro, it dropped into, like, this heavy, like, trap tune. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was a fun way to start. I got to have my, like, few moments of that beautiful piano melody, and then at the start of my set, I tricked people, and they were like, what? He's playing this? And then I was like, no, this is what <laughs> yeah. I normally play. Remember I, I closed out after Bill on Valentine's Day a couple years ago? I wasn't there, but yeah. And I did a uh, fucking, uh, like, the Do You Like uh, Do you like Drugs, that tune? Yeah. Into, um, oh, yeah, I remember that. Into, like, that? a Trevor Kelly mint tune. Yeah, yeah, you, you had that. You did that mashup a few times. I've heard yeah. you play that, and that's fun. Or, or, or it was a Chi tune. It was, like, a Chi but see, you figure out ways to make those other things you want to play in your set work instead of just going like totally left field. It's this like is we'll play a snippet um, of it. This is something I've been doing lately a lot uh, with with sets, and I got this idea, and it's probably not like a fresh idea or anything. But I got the and I found out about it through Squanto because uh-huh. uh, you know he's sort of pioneering that like incredible like four deck mixing rhythm uh-huh. shit. A little bit with like Subtronics is doing a lot of that too. Oh yeah, that that and new Subtronic mix is like it's crazy chop. to listen to because insane, dude. Yeah, is um, it Ultra Chop? Is it? Well, no, the, the Subtronics that's, that's one is just like chop? little bits and intros and drops of all these different tunes. Right, and he's it's like is it all 150 tunes in like 20 minutes? I haven't. I haven't some heard of, it. some of it's like rhythm and some of it's like there's a bunch of G Jones tracks and like right. Chi. I think there's one. But, G well, Jones one track. one thing I've been doing a lot in my sets now is like making edits where like you basically would just like rip a build up from some other EDM tune. Yeah, and then just like put your drop in there. So it's kind of like everything is very DJ. That's what I was just talking about with like the the Cashmere Cat tunes. Right. Or, yeah. Or what did, What did Greg tell you? Like, can you re, re, can you oh yeah so like the first time yeah. G like well not the so um when 
Is this when okay Greg G. Jones it's first okay started? This. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When he first started playing, well, maybe not. We might want to ask him, but anyway, when he first uh, no, he's over that. Is he's beyond that now? Yeah, true. Well, when he first started playing like the big insomniac raves like Beyond Wonderland, EDC, stuff like that, um, I ran into him at a festival at Symbiosis and uh, we're friends. So we we're like hanging out, catching up. And I was like, so what's it like playing those things compared to like, you know, the the more hippie underground festivals we normally play? And he was like, honestly, you can play all the same stuff as long as you just throw a build up in there. Right, those right. kids, they're new to things. They just want the excitement of a build up. So I have like all these edits of my tunes. Is that exactly what you're And like Epron's yeah. tunes where yeah. I like just chopped up the intro into like a heavy build up. And then it when it drops, it's this exact same tune. Right, and as right. long as they have that build up and excitement, yeah. And yeah, I've, long, I've noticed you, that even with the like more underground scene, like I started just, putting build ups in all my tunes, and then it can yeah. be just as weird when it drops. Exactly, it's the same thing I was saying earlier, where like if you just set up the punchline properly, it's like you can kind of get away with a lot more. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, we should probably wrap this up. Um, well, okay, let me throw in a little bit more advice for newer yeah. producers. Um, here's a big thing I've noticed lately: is I notice. Uh, I see all these posts on Facebook from kids that are like pretty good producers and are really frustrated with where they're at in their local scenes. They're like, oh, yeah, so-and-so promoter. They just book their friends all the time. Um, Like, I don't know how to break into these parties. And my big advice to them would be to stop thinking of yourself just in terms of your local scene. Right. And that's something that helped me a lot, too, is like I was just playing like our, our wormhole shows. And like I said, I started branching out and trying to play everywhere that I could. And, you know, the more you spread out through the country, the more familiar you are in the next part of the country. Like, mm-hmm. first, it'd be like just going to Oregon and Washington. And then it was like Idaho, you know. It's like unlocking zones, like yeah. like fog of war, right? You play a video game, you're like, I can't see beyond yeah, until this I, I area where, until I'm there. Right, exactly. Yeah. So just go. Yeah. Push so, yourself out there. So, okay. yeah, that's a huge thing that I would say. And also, if you're a local producer and you feel like you're competing with all these local DJs, Stop playing all the same parties as them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something I noticed. Like some people that are locals here that are our friends come to all of our events and whose music I like. They're like, so like, when are you guys going to book me for Wormhole? I'm like, when you stop playing like every renegade warehouse party and like weekly every other week of the month. Right. Like, no, like I only have so yeah. many shows. Mm-hmm. Our shows, you know, are going to have a bigger crowd. You're going to yeah. be opening for like some really big producers. So like, wait for that. If you've right. played once a month for the last three months, why would we book you? And the thing about waiting for that is, you know, you still want to play shows. You're still hungry. You want to get out there and get that. That's why you should be hitting up the other places you can play. Right. Get yourself out there. So, you know, and something that I think about a lot as a promoter with that, too, you know, these the people saying these things, that they feel like promoters are just putting on their friends and the same people over and over again. And that's true to an extent, but there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Like, we have our team of residents. Um, and when it comes to like, you know, I just booked a show. We need to fill the opening slot. Like, who's it going to be? I'm going to pick one of the people that's been playing for us for seven years, you know? Or, and or, then I know, and I also know that they'll reliably can open up a dance floor and, and play a good and opening set. And they'll get set. back to you when you, when you ask and them. And they'll get back to me quickly, yeah. Yeah, you're like, like I need to fill this slot. And they're going to respond to me because, like, they were friends. Right? And that, you know? Or, like, that, whatever, they know my name. So they're going to, like, see the message. And I'm like, whatever. And as far... And on the flip side, like a lot of those, like a lot of the people that are part of our crew like that are DJs that aren't really pushing like a music production career right now. And they're going to cater their set to like whatever's going on. Whereas if you're like a producer trying to come up in your local scene, um, like in our scene, for example, I don't necessarily want to just throw you that opening slot. I kind of want to wait until I have a slightly better time slot 
and you're playing right before an artist that yeah. I know you like and that would fit you well with your music you and actually showcase. put you on in front of a lot of people. So you can showcase the the art of it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just another piece of advice I have is like, stop worrying so much about like being being the biggest DJ in your hometown doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Right. Also, For me personally, like when I'm looking through like SoundCloud or especially Spotify in terms of what cities are listening to my music, Oakland is like so far down there. Mm. And that's where all my best friends live. Right. San Francisco, pretty far down there too. And like the top ones are the same as for everyone, like Denver, Chicago. But then there's also like random places I wouldn't expect, like Dallas sometimes is listening to my stuff way more than my friends at home. Right. I'm like, <laughs> I could be butthurt about that. But like at this point, I'm also like, I don't know. I, I care more about having the genuine fans and other people than just getting the support at home. I'm pretty sure that means a, less than you might there's think. A, there's like a, like a, what do you call it? A parable or like the, the prophet is never accepted in his hometown. Yeah. Like you're it's well, very rare that like your hometown will put you on and like blow you up. There is something I've noticed with, uh, in like super smaller markets where there's like one person, there's like only one or two people in town that are like really solid producers and they play all of the big shows and they right. kind of get their name out there that way. Cause they've just done direct support for everyone that's come through town. Yeah. Cause like that works. they're literally the only people that have something to push. I mean, if you live works. somewhere like where we live, like San Francisco, or especially if you live in like Denver or something, yeah. it's like super competitive. Yeah. It's I super mean, especially com- Denver, dude. That's, yeah. It's super we, competitive, okay, but you can go play other places. Look, at the end right. of the day, it's like, if nobody's paying attention to you, work harder. Yeah. yeah. Nobody <laughs> cares. Work harder. Well, that's, that's one like, thing. Dude, I I've always... been doing this shit for seven years. I'm like, I want to be a talent buyer for this festival. No one's hitting me. Like we, like we, yeah. like, like no, like work, do better. Right. Yeah, that, that, I mean? that's like, that's one thing I tell a lot of people as well. I'm like, big whoop if you can't go on tour. It just gives you more time in the studio to get better. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Get better. But something I would say is, like, I, I feel like, oh, oh, you thought you, oh, you thought you were great when I was saying <laughs> you need you know, to get better. You right. got to get out there and hit people up. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are like, well, no one knows who I am. So like. I can't, I'm not going to just start like bugging every promoter. And that's just not true. If there's one person that's listening to you or like a handful of people that are listening to you, it's every like promoter in the country. Right, right, right. (laughs) Those, because we listen to everything. We're on SoundCloud all day, just like producers. And promoters almost like producers are usually busy making tunes. Like every promoter I know in the country, we know who like, Everyone is from like smaller to bigger for the most part. Yo, right. And when promote- you hit us up, we're not going to be like, sometimes we might not know who you are. And then you should probably but work on you, getting your music you, out like, more. Look but- into that artist. Like, say, for instance, somebody from Belegal Beats hit you up yeah. and you're like, oh, I don't know who this is. You would only have to look into it for like two seconds to be yeah, like, totally. oh, they're on Bill's label. They're like related. To that, yeah, exactly. Right. It definitely helps a lot. Right, exactly. But like 90% of the time, I'm like, I'm familiar with who you are, even if you're like a pretty small name. Well, right. and, and we did that with Wormhole Music Group. We How many times did we release a tune from somebody with like under 500? followers yeah i always had a policy of just listening to everything and releasing it if it's good that's kind of what i do as well with belegal beats like a lot of the people who are who are on belegal beats are incredibly underrepresented and have like a couple of hundred soundcloud followers but make incredible fucking music like this one guy blanket dragon makes the most i've heard him dude it's so fucking good it's like uh, i explained it to michael yesterday It, it, it sounds like listening to life in reverse it's like nice. the whole thing is just super fucking complicated, but all sounds like it's, I don't know, it's very crazy to listen to, but he has so, like 300. That's a high, that's a high compliment. That's yeah. A, it, dude, it's the yeah. glitchiest, coolest shit. I mean, and also super pretty. And it's like, uh, he's got like a couple of hundred SoundCloud followers and he's like never played a show. I've noticed that. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, you should book him. You build, you build, 
I've noticed you build a lot of following just from releasing frequently. Yeah. And not necessarily on how dope what you release is for most people, not everyone. There needs to be a balance, though, I think. There's definitely a balance. You can't just put out a bunch of crap. Right. But I've noticed that if I'm releasing something like a couple times a month or even more, my follower account will just keep going up and up, even Mm -hmm. if a lot of those tunes aren't getting a lot of plays or attention. Right. But every time I release something, no matter what, you're going to get that big initial like, ooh, something just came out. And then, like, people that haven't heard you, they'll follow you. Um, you know, I just realized is we didn't really like uh, introduce each other. It's like nobody. Do we never mention that Benji is also a Sacred Recipe? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we can do the intro cool. now, and I mean, we we can we can just write it in text. and, and that's just, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Like once we do all the social posting, yeah. it'll come out that way. Yeah. Dude, speaking of which, um, we got to wrap because I got to yeah. yeah, do yeah. some shit. But um, I appreciate you guys coming do, on. Do you think we I'll, got some good content? Tons. Yeah. And I would love to like have you guys on again at some yeah. point to like go further down the hole. Yeah, I we think can, there's I, way more holes we can go down in terms <laughs> yeah. of this. I mean, yeah, there's so many in there. But yeah, all right. Thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, cool. Uh, what, what do we say now? We say adios. Yeah, that, that'll Adi- do. Adios. Adios. Uh, Till the next hole. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast.